Walter Sports Bar is excited to welcome Nationals fans back to the ballpark this spring. Located directly across the street from Nationals Park, Walters is the preeminent sports bar in Navy Yard, boasting over 35 televisions, both indoors and out. Walters is a great location to catch the Nats all season long. Walters encourages all fans to check out coronavirus.dc.gov to get up-to-date information on current dining restrictions. Go Nats! The Nats are on the road right now, but Walters is open. And if you want to watch the ball games and enjoy food and drink indoors or outdoors, head to Walters right across the street from Nationals Park. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now Corbin ready. And the pitch, fastball, ripped to deep left. Down the line, going, going, gone, goodbye. That one in and out of the Dodger bullpen. Chris Taylor with his first home run of the year. A blast on the first pitch from Patrick Corbin. It is a three-run homer and a five-run inning for the Dodgers. It's Los Angeles 5 and Washington 1. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, April 11th, 2021, along with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We have our first late night game for the Nationals in this 2021 season. And sadly, we do have another Nationals loss, 9-5 the final at the Los Angeles Dodgers late on Saturday night in game two of this three-game series. And well, Mark, I guess we can say the Nats did not waste a gem from a starting pitcher this time out. That was a rough season debut for Patrick Corbin. It was, and I can't say it's totally unexpected because he had the long layoff. He was just, you know, made active off the COVID list, and you didn't really know what you were going to get. And so that was disappointing. You know, we'll get into the specifics of it here, but the hope would be that this was a one-time thing and that he was just rusty and that next time out is better. But there were a couple of red flags in there that had me a little bit concerned, especially the velocity for his first time out. That wasn't necessarily what you were looking for from a guy who who was stretched out all spring training. Yeah, we'll get to Corbin and everything that went down with his outing coming up in just a bit. Very interesting night for the Nationals offensively as well. Two bombs from Juan Soto. That was great to see. But otherwise, just a bunch of singles from the Nationals. Some guys are hitting well, but Nats are not hitting for enough power right now. Nats now are 1-4 and four on the year. So I-, I looked at this gauntlet to begin the season. Three games against Atlanta, three games at the Dodgers, three games at St. Louis. And especially given the COVID-19 absences, I was like, all right, if they can get out of this, like, say, 4-5 and five or better, you know, you're kind of treading water, keep your head above water, especially, you know, missing all these guys. Once you get them back, you're good to go. 
the Nats are one and four now to begin the season. Of course, it's way too early to panic or anything like that, but you are now, Mark, I think in a little bit of danger here of getting off to one of these really rough starts, especially given how the schedule is. The Nats, to me, they need to salvage a game in this series. They're going to need to win this game three at the Dodgers on Sunday. It's Max Scherzer versus Clayton Kershaw. This is one of those classic spots for the ace, you know, to stop the bleeding, stop the losing. And uh, I think they're going to need this win here because, you know, you don't want to be one and five going to St. Louis. Then you're really looking at, at, at a start to the season that nobody wanted. Yeah, I agree. I, mean, I hate to call anything must win on, you know, in the middle of April, but it, it's pretty close to it because, like you said, of what's next. And if you do get swept in LA, then you go to St. Louis and you're saying they have to win two out of three there just to come home at three and six. The worst at the end of all this is that you won one game in each series. You're three and six, but okay, you won one game. And really, this was the first game they weren't in, you know, and I know they rallied late and it kind of made it a little bit interesting, but. All the other games, they've been right there in it where you could say to yourself, okay, if they just had their full roster available to them, it might have been a different story where only one or two little things go differently and they win the game. This was not one of those, which, you know, frankly, it was going to happen. That part's not surprising, but it is where, like we talked about after those other losses, yeah, you can explain why they lost those games. Boy, it would have been nice to win one of those winnable games because you knew there was going to be a game that they just didn't really have a chance to win, and that was this one. You tell us what you think. You can tweet the show at Nats underscore chat. You can email us at the Nats Chat Podcast. The email address, very simply, Podcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, contact the man behind all this, Tim Shovers. Again, Podcast at gmail.com. So, you know, we celebrated in many ways off the game on Friday of, hey, you know, Nats are getting back some of their horses. Patrick Corbin maybe is going to start game two of this series. Boy, would that be a lot better than Austin Voth, especially considering that Corbin's a lefty and the Dodgers have this lefty heavy lineup. Uh, So much for that. Patrick Corbin was not good in this 9-5 loss at the Dodgers on Saturday night. Corbin gets rocked to the tune of six runs in four and a third innings, gives up six hits, a homer, two doubles and three singles, and three walks versus five strikeouts. Throws 80 pitches, just 48 of which end up being strikes. How about that? 48 strikes versus 32 balls. And the thing that stands out as much as anything, of course, is the bottom of the second inning in which Corbin gives up five runs. He begins that second inning by issuing three consecutive walks. Walks Will Smith, walks Max Muncy, walks A.J. Pollock, then gives up a one-out, two-run single to Zach McKinstry, and then comes the big blow. A two-out first pitch, three-run homer by the Virginia product, Chris Taylor, on a bomb to left field. Now, the other run by Corbin didn't come until the uh, bottom of the fifth inning. But, you know, I thought, Mark, something like the bottom of the third stuck out. So, like, Corbin didn't give up any runs that inning, but he gives up a one-out double to Will Smith and a one-out first-pitch single to Max Muncy before getting bailed out by a Pollock double play. It just, it was not a smooth outing at all for Corbin. It was not. Wait, the first inning was good. We retired the side on 12 yeah, pitches. Okay. So, there you go. <laughs> Struck out uh, Turner in the first to bet. The thing that stood out to me, and, and you started to see it in that second inning, but it really was a consistent theme all the, all the way through until he was done, was that he could not throw his fastball for strikes where he wanted it to. And I know the slider is his best pitch. That's his out pitch. But it doesn't work if the hitter doesn't have reason to believe that he's going to throw a fastball for strikes. His only chance of success is to get ahead of hitters with the fastball. And then that gets them to swing at the sliders that are hardly ever in the zone. But he gets more swings and misses on those than anybody because the hitter sees fastball, swings in the zone, and then realizes, no, it's it's darting out of the zone. Well, if you don't believe that he's going to throw a fastball in the zone, you don't need to swing at all. 
until you're ahead in the count. So that to me was the biggest concern. And even in the innings where he didn't give up anything, it was still kind of a problem. He got to a point, probably in the fourth inning or so, where he's throwing first pitch sliders just to try to get ahead in the count. And now he's working backwards, and that's just not the way he goes. And this is the difference between Corbin and, say, Scherzer and Strasburg. When those guys maybe don't have one thing working, they have other avenues they can turn to to be successful. Corbin's, it's kind of one path to success. That's a really good path when it's on. But when it's not, it can be ugly. And we saw that in this game. That is a little bit of a concern. Now, you know, first start, so maybe he's just rusty and you hope that he gets that back the next time out. But it does kind of show how the margin for error for him is a lot less than some of the other members of their rotation. It is. And the Nats have a few of these guys in their rotation. I mean, the margin for error for Joe Ross isn't that great. The margin for error for John Lester once he begins his season is not that great because of his diminished velocity. And speaking of that, I mean, that was the concern with Corbin in 2020. He had a really bad 2020, albeit over 11 starts, but his average four-seam fastball velocity per Sports Info Solutions in 2020, a career worst 90.8 was nearly, it was like a mile and a half per hour down from where it was at in 2019. That's significant from one year to the next. And the velo on Saturday night wasn't particularly impressive. No, he, so he averaged 90 on his fastball, but which, you know, it's okay. You'd like it to be a little higher than that, but there were some 87s in there, especially late in the outing. And that's why I was kind of surprised Davey put him back out for the fifth. I know he was trying to build up his pitch count. I know he was trying to squeeze another inning out of him. But I I almost thought, you know what, he struck out the side in the fourth, and yeah, it was the bottom of the lineup, and it didn't really change a whole lot. But I thought maybe let him leave on a little bit of a high note and go get him next time. Instead, he puts him back out there for the fifth, and he only faced three batters, gave up another run. But, But the velocity was down at that point, and that is a little bit more of a concern. So again, are we talking about the layoff, having not pitched in a while since the end of spring training? Or are we talking about more of a continuation of what we saw last year? We're just not going to know until he pitches again five days from now. That next start's going to be big for him. He's got to show something in that one, or else you do have to start wondering, is there something going on here? And maybe last year wasn't the aberration that he and the Nationals want to believe it was. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, Corbin, to me, has become kind of emblematic of this thing that we've heard a lot of, you know, from fans, from media, from the Nats themselves of, well, you know, 2020, you know, it's a write-off year, you know, as a pandemic, as a shortened year. Like, okay, I mean, there's some truth to that, but Patrick Corbin was really bad in 2020. Like, I don't think you just gloss over that. I mean, his ERA is 466. He gave up the most hits in the majors. His strikeout rate plummeted. Like, I don't, you know, he can't just say, well, you know, it's 2020. Like, no, he was bad. Doesn't mean he's a terrible pitcher, but like he's got to bounce back in 2021. It's not a guarantee that he does that. And he's obviously not not off to a very good start. I mean, it looked in spring training. We talked about this. The velocity seemingly was better in spring training. You know, you kind of felt like, all right, Patrick Corbin had a very good 2019 for the Nationals. and Never forget what he did, especially in relief in that postseason. So, okay, there is a benefit of the doubt that the guy has earned, but he gets off this really bad start Saturday night. I think, to your point, that velocity is huge. Because, I mean, he, you know, he was in the, the territory, the range of 90 in 2020. He's in the range of 90 in his first start in 2021. That's multiple miles per hour down from where he was at in 2019. That's concerning if that's the case. And, you know, obviously when the velo goes down, that's when the production starts to dip and you start getting whacked all over the place. And he gave up some very hard hit balls on Saturday night. I mean, that home run by Taylor, that was a shot. That thing got ripped. That was scary to see something like that. 
Yeah, no, that one was not good. And you said he led the league in hits last year. He led the league in whip as well for among all qualifying pitchers, which is not what you're expecting from him. The other thing that surprised me in this start, he only threw two change-ups. And that's a pitch that he's talked about wanting to throw more so that it does give him a, a third you know, reliable weapon to use and a pitch that breaks in the opposite direction of the slider. And I don't know why, if it was because of the matchups or he just did, wasn't feeling it or what, but only two changeups is surprising me, especially when the fastball just was not working for him. So like we said before, to be successful in this league over the long term, you have to be able to adapt. And maybe one way has been successful for him. He's got to learn a second way if something isn't working for him, how to be able to get out of it and salvage a start if you don't really have your your plus stuff on that day. No doubt. So Corbin gets pulled. And ironically enough, the man who relieves him is the man who probably would have started this game had Corbin not been cleared to start, Austin Voth. And to Voth's credit, he puts out the fire in that bottom of the fifth inning, relieves Corbin with a runner on second and one out, gets out of the jam without giving up any runs, including striking out A.J. Pollock on three consecutive called strikes for the third out. How'd you like that, Mark? Voth, the fireman, getting the job done there in that fifth inning. And hit 95 with his fastball. Yeah. So that, that's a good sign. Now, here's actually a thing. I mean, some people have wondered, could this guy be effective as a short reliever? Because the issue with him has typically been he's great the first time through a lineup, and then after that, he just gets hammered. And the Nationals have continued to stretch him out as a starter, more out of necessity than anything. But you did see at the end of spring training, before the whole COVID thing happened, and when they believed they were opening the season with Voth and Fetty in their bullpen, you actually saw both of them used in short relief, not in long relief. And I think Davey understood that at least one of them was probably going to wind up in a role like that. Now, let's see, you know, a long way to go. It's one little outing. It's you know two-thirds of an inning. But he can throw it. If he could throw it 95, have some life on it, face a couple of hitters, you know, maybe one inning, maybe there is a future for him there. I'm not going to read too much into one appearance, but that was encouraging. And seven out of seven pitches for strikes. That's fantastic. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through the experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. 
To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. Hey everyone, Tim Shovers here, producer of the Nats Chat Podcast. We've all had that dream. Tie game, bottom of the ninth, base is loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right, new users get up to $1,000 back inside credit if your first bet doesn't win. And it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back inside credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There is a reason. FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. We've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same-game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. I told you guys a few days ago, my pick to win the green jacket this weekend was Jordan Spieth. Heading into the weekend, looked like maybe a bit of a shot after Saturday's round. Feeling a little bit less confident, but maybe, maybe Spieth can win his second green jacket. And you can uh, check that out, the odds, over on FanDuel. And when you win, FanDuel will pay your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. The 1-0. Swing a line drive left field. It hangs up for Stevenson, who dives but misses the ball. It's by him to the fence, and this will clear the bases. Turner scores. Smith scores. Muncy to the plate will score. As the ball played in, it's a three-run double for A.J. Pollock. It hung up for Stevenson to try to dive, but he missed the ball completely on the diving attempt. And this one is broken back open. All three score, and it's 9-3 Los Angeles. Sam Clay then relieves both, tosses a perfect sixth, but then gets charged with three runs in the bottom of the seventh, during which he got the first two batters out, but then the problem started. Two-out double by Justin Turner, a two-out intentional walk of Will Smith, and a two-out single by Max Muncy to load the bases. Davey brings in Kyle Finnegan, and Finnegan on his second pitch gives up a two-out, three-run bases, clearing double to A.J. Pollock. On a liner that gets past the diving Andrew Stevenson, you know, this is kind of the nailing of the coffin shut. I mean, I know Soto hit that homer later in the game, but, you know, it's 9-3 Dodgers at that point. Your win probability plummets in a spot like that. What do you think of Stevenson making that diving attempt for that baseball? That's one of those things, right? If he makes the catch, it's great, but you're taking such a risk, the ball gets by him and the bases get cleared. Boy, he was awfully close. I mean, the replay, you could see it just missed. And I thought F.P. Santangelo made a good point on the broadcast, which was this. In that spot, bases loaded two outs. If he pulls up and just plays it on a hop, two runs are going to score anyways because two outs guys are running. So by going, making the diving attempt, it ends up allowing one more run to score. In a game like that, it's worth the risk, it felt like. Even watching it live for a moment, I maybe thought he had it, and then you realize the ball had skipped past him. So I think situationally it was worth the attempt on it. Maybe in a different spot you wouldn't do that, and who knows if he would have had that awareness or if that was just instinct to do that. But in that spot, bases loaded, two outs, I get it. I didn't have a problem with that. The other thing I want to say, Sam Clay was the hard luck pitcher of the night because 
The double he gave up was Turner's little blooper right down the line, went for a ground rule double. And the single by Muncie would have been an out if the infield's playing in its normal position. And, and they were shifted to the other side. It would have been right where Trey Turner would be normally as a shortstop. And I know we mentioned this before in one of our, our spring training shows. The Nationals, for whatever reason, when shifting last year, it did not benefit them at all. They had a negative defensive run saved while in the shift, which doesn't make any sense. It should not happen that way. And that was a play right there where, look, I get it. Muncie's a dead pull hitter. You believe that you should play him in the shift, but that was a perfect example of a ball that if they're playing straight up, it's a third out of the inning, the inning's over, they don't give up a run. I don't know why the Nats have not had more success shifting. I mean, maybe they're not shifting at the right times. I mean, maybe that's an indictment of their baseball ops department that the they're not deploying the shift as well as they should or uh, in the particular circumstances. But yeah, I mean, the whole point of shifting, the, the reason teams like the Rays and Pirates, you know, really innovated it was because it elevated your defense. It did not degrade your defense. So it's not supposed to work out that way. So, yeah, Clay, then they went to Finnegan. He gives up that double. Wander Suero was the final Nats pitcher. Scoreless eighth, though he did issue a couple of walks. Way too many walks issued by the Nats on Saturday night. Seven walks for the game. The Nats themselves drew just one. Did, though, finish with 15 hits. But like we said, all but two of them were singles. I mean, it was an odd offensive night for sure. You get two homers from Juan Soto, who has been great so far. So much, by the way, for his terrible spring training. Over the low wall and right. It's a multi-home run game for Soto. But you get 13 of your 15 hits ultimately as singles. You draw just the one walk. And, you know, some of this definitely has to do with who you're starting. You know, uh, interestingly, Hernan Perez was out there again as your starting left fielder. <laughs> uh, you had Jordy Mercer starting on Saturday night. Though Mercer actually had a pretty good game, finished with, with three hits. So hard to complain too much about him. So, so some of this is, though, you know, you're missing some key guys. But, man, Mark, they're just not hitting for much power right now, are they? They're not. I'm going to get to the offense in one second, but you mentioned Wander Suero. I think we need to start a running bit on this show. He pitched for the fourth time in five games. And in the, you know what happened in the game he didn't pitch? He warmed up. <laughs> he has warmed up in all five games and appeared in four as Davey attempts to run him into the ground. Wander likes it. He thinks he's better the more he pitches. Davey always will rely on him. But I mean, if ever there was a game that you would think, let's find somebody else to pitch, it was 9-3 to three in the bottom of the eighth. There wasn't anybody else who could throw that inning. So we may need to keep the Wander Swero count here going. Four appearances in five games, plus a warm-up. That's a good point. And, you know, it's not like Swero is some lockdown reliever. At times he looks good, but he's one of these classic 50-50 guys who, when he's on, he's good. And when he's not, you know, cover your eyes. So... Not sure what this love affair is exactly with Suero, but that's, that's a great point. He has been used a ton, and this game definitely profiled as one where you know, get like your mop-up man out there and just eat up some winnings right. and get the heck out of here. Right. All right. Now let's get to the offense. Yeah, I mean, 15 hits, but the only extra base hits were Soto's homers. And other than Soto, the only guy who's hitting the ball hard consistently is Zimmerman who is hitting 471 right now, so let's not knock him. He's not elevating the ball. I think that will happen. The fact that he's hitting the ball hard is a great sign, and it's only a matter of time before that starts to happen. So I'm not too worried there. But the rest of the lineup is not driving in runs. They're not hitting the ball in the air. They're not hitting the ball in the gaps. That includes Trey Turner. I know he has two homers, but aside from that, hasn't done a whole lot else. You know, Robles finally got on base in the ninth inning in this game, but otherwise didn't do it. And you know, we're talking about the bottom half of a lineup that is not their real lineup, so it's hard to get on their case too much here. But that was the difference in this game. The Dodgers hit a couple of balls on the screws, 
and out of the park or or the three-run double, I mean, that's the difference in the game. The Nats wound up with more hits than them, but when they're all going for singles, it's hard to string them together. Hopefully, Bell and Schwarber, when they're back, that makes a difference. You want to see Turner start to elevate the ball a little more. You know, Castro is kind of a singles hitter. He's not a huge power hitter, so you're maybe not expecting it. So that is something they need to be a little better at. You're going to score runs with big hits, with extra base hits. They're not doing it right now. And then, I mean, they had Urias on the ropes early on. And I thought it was a rare base running mistake by Zimmerman to get thrown out of third to end the first inning when they had a chance to to really take it to him. And that killed that rally. Who knows what would have happened, but that's not a play he usually makes. He's not a super fast base runner by any stretch, but he's always been a smart base runner and doesn't get thrown out typically, especially with two outs in the inning. Yeah. And that was actually the first of several times where the Nats left the Dodgers off the hook in terms of, you know, prime run scoring opportunity and you blow the deal. I mean, Andrew Stevenson is a pinch hitter striking out on four pitches with the bases loaded to end the top of the six. You hated seeing that. Luis Garcia as a pinch hitter striking out with runners on first and second with two outs in the top of the eighth inning. You hated seeing that. But going back to Zimmerman, so he does get the three singles. You know, it's funny, that single that he had in that first inning in which he gets thrown out, that that was a great plate appearance. Two out, full count single to cap an 11 pitch plate appearance. He also has a one-out single on an 0-2 pitch in that two-run six for the Nats, and then a leadoff single in the top of the eighth. But like, here's the thing, and this has been kind of a thing with Zimmerman for years. He doesn't elevate the ball. Like, If you look at his launch angle stats, they're not particularly impressive in recent years. And you know he's the cleanup batter right now. And it's like, cleanup batter, that's a guy who's supposed to hit for some power. And Zimmerman doesn't do that nearly in the neighborhood in which he used to do that. And it's been kind of a thing now for a few years. So look, I know they're down people, but I think that has to be understood. Like you're not playing the Ryan Zimmerman of 2008. It's the Ryan Zimmerman of 2021. And while he's still adept enough to to get on base and get some hits, he doesn't hit for power. And that is a problem. Like in today's day and age, and I know, you know, some people love to poo-poo the launch angle stuff, but there's a reason so many guys are in on it. And the Nats right now, not hitting for power with the exception, I guess, of Soto. That's an issue offensively, especially with all these guys out. Yeah, and he's always been a big double play threat. And that's, you know, think of all those times that he was hitting behind Bryce Harper. They intentionally walk Harper. Zim goes 6-4-3 to, to kill a rally. So yeah, it has been. I can just say from having seen him a lot over the years, though, it usually comes in stages for him. You can kind of see when it's going well. It starts with those hard hit grounders. Then it turns into line drive singles. And then the next thing you know, he's hitting, driving the ball to the right center gap for doubles and then pulling the ball for home runs. No, he's not going to be the power hitter he was earlier in his career, but I still think he can be a doubles and homers hitter, maybe not like a cleanup guy, but but number five or six guy. And ultimately, that's probably where he'll be on the days that he plays once they have, you know, Bell and Schwarber back. So I, I'm not super worried about that. Yeah, we can't think of him as the centerpiece of this lineup because he's not at this point. He'd be the first to admit that as well. Under the circumstances, I think he's done pretty well. And the only out he made in this game in the third inning was a line out to second base. And the only reason it was an out, you know why? The Dodgers were shifted. And they've had the shift exactly right for him up the middle, as opposed to the Nationals the other way around. Funny how that works. Dodgers have been a heavy shifting team for a while. Dodgers are a huge analytics team, as most people know, and it's paid off for them big time. We mentioned Mercer. I do want to give him credit. Uh, Three hits for him, three singles, but, you know, him going three or four as your number six batter. I mean, that's where they're at. Jordy Mercer is their number six hitter in a game at the reigning defending World Series champion Dodgers, but leadoff single, top of the second, two out single, and the two run six, despite having been down in the count at 1.02, and then a two out single on a one-two pitch 
in the top of the eighth inning. So, you know, we're still awaiting, obviously, for guys like Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber to be cleared, but I think it's probably overly optimistic to think that that could happen come Sunday. But with this game three at the Dodgers, it's a sexy pitching matchup, even now. I mean, Max Scherzer is still quite good. Clayton Kershaw is still quite good. They're not at their peak forms, but, you know, they're two future Hall of Famers, the two guys who are still well above average as starting pitchers. But I really do think this is a big spot for the Nats. You want Scherzer to pitch well, especially off what he looked like in the season opener, in which, you know, ultimately he wasn't that bad, but giving up the four solo homers, like that can't be the case. And that first inning, I think all eyes are going to be on that on Sunday. You know, this Max escaped that first inning unscathed. 100%. He's got to keep the ball in the yard. And this is going to be in a day game at Dodger Stadium when the ball flies more against a lineup that can do that as much as any in baseball. If Mookie Betts is back leading off, that's a huge first batter to be facing, just like Acuna on opening day. The first inning, he's got to channel the emotions and the adrenaline, maybe mix it up with some more off-speed stuff, keep him off balance in the first inning, get through the first inning unscathed, and I think he can be good and then hopefully finish strong as well. So that that's where it starts with Scherzer giving them you know, I, I think you have to view it as a dominant start. I don't think just a decent Scherzer start is going to be enough for them. They need a dominant Scherzer start and then hopefully be able to just to get to the back end of your bullpen. We still haven't seen Brad Hand yet. He's been eligible the last two games. They haven't needed him. They haven't been in the right situation. But everybody else should be available. Rainey, Hudson, Hand. We know Swearer will be available. So Max can give you six or even seven really good innings. That gives him a good chance. And then Here's my uh, my hot take for, for the, this morning. They're going to face Kershaw. And originally I said it was Dustin May. That's who was listed. And they were going to give Kershaw another day. And they wound up deciding to stick with Kershaw on four days rest. I actually think they have a better chance of success against Kershaw than May. I think they match up better with him. They match up better with a lefty, especially if Zimmerman is in the lineup again. And think back to the last time they faced Kershaw. Out of the bullpen in game five of the NLDS and what happened back-to-back homers off him. So I actually, I know he's got the name, but right now I think the Nationals have a better chance of scoring runs off Clayton Kershaw than they do off Dustin May. Well, to whatever extent history matters, the Nats have gotten to Kershaw plenty of times in the postseason. You know, I I know he got those final two outs in that uh, NLDS game five loss in 2016, but otherwise prior to that in that NLDS series, the Nats got to Kershaw. In the NLDS in 2019, the Nats got to Kershaw. This isn't a thing of uh, he's you know dominated them over the years. Like no, they've actually gotten to him quite a bit over the years. They've had success against him. So I don't know how much that matters, but that is something uh, to consider. And like we said, he's not Pete Kershaw anymore. You know, he's still good, but the Dodgers' ace is Walker Bueller. The, you know, the guy who the Nats faced on Friday—that's the Dodgers' ace now. Kershaw, they can call him whatever they want. He's not their best pitcher anymore. So that's to be understood. But, you know, you could say the same thing about Max. Like, Max probably isn't peak Max anymore. But, you know, he's still quite good. And the Nats are going to need him to do well. All right. So we got a lot of feedback to our universal DH conversation on the Nats Chat podcast in our uh, last installment of this. We got uh, plenty of tweets. We got lots of emails as well. I did want to read to you this email from our guy Bob in Virginia. Again, the email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. He says, personally, I do not like the DH rule. Baseball is a game between two teams of nine players each. The DH is player number 10. But since the DH is used at every level of professional baseball and also used a lot in amateur baseball, it seems that it is time for the National League to accept the DH. You know, that is one thing about the DH rule. I don't know if everyone understands 
the National League is the exception to this rule now. Everywhere else, essentially, makes usage of the DH. The NL is still clinging to something of like a bygone era at this point with these pitchers hitting. Yeah, and I it's annoying to me that in the minor leagues, they don't let them hit. And I think it's only at, now at AAA when it's a nationally, in a National League ballpark or, you know, a National League affiliates ballpark. I think all other minor league games, they use a DH. If I could be mistaken on that, we haven't had minor leagues in a couple of years, but I think that's what it is. I feel like if you let pitchers hit more coming up through the minors, maybe they'd be a little better at it. Maybe they'd spend a little more time working at it. But look, it's inevitable. We know it's going to happen, but I still think there is value in it. I still enjoy that style of of the game. And let the record show that our Twitter poll, I believe it was 60-40, give or take, pro pitcher hitting. So you you cherry-picked that email. Well, yeah. I know there's a lot of, of positive <laughs> responses out there for uh, for pitchers hitting. Well, the Twitter poll was 57-43, to be precise, okay? So there will be no fake news on this podcast. Rounding up to 60-40. We, we will give accurate results. How about this? The uh, I, I don't know if he came up with this, but I know he's talked about it. Bud Black, the guy who was supposed to be the Nationals manager until Dusty Baker got hired because of a contract dispute between the Nats and Bud Black. But El Jefe tweeted us, said, there should be a universal modified DH that is only in the game as long as the starting pitcher is in the game. So like I said, Bud Black has talked about this, how to incentivize teams keeping starting pitchers in games long. How about doing it that way, where you can have a DH so long as your starting pitcher is still in the game? It's a little gimmicky, but I actually think there's some merit to it. I, I think that would be intriguing to, to look at and see how that plays out. I think Max Scherzer is kind of intrigued by that idea, too. He's mentioned that um, as, as something that sort of piqued his interest, and he hasn't given a serious thought, but that it could be persuaded. Here's the, my only issue with that. I, I get the theory behind it, and I, and I like the effect that it has once he's out of the game, because now you do need pinch hitters, and you need, you do need a, a strong bench. But let's say you're the Nationals next year, and Ryan Zimmerman is your DH. Well, he's going to get, you know, one or two at bats and the starting pitchers out of the game. And now you've lost one of your best hitters as well. And so is that going to change the strategy? And maybe now a manager is going to say, I don't actually want to use my best hitter as my DH because I want to save him for later in the game. Now, you know, I guess, hey, if you really care about the strategy, that could be interesting. But I think we're getting a little too cute potentially with that. Either have it or don't have it. You know, having it for part of a game and then losing it, I don't love, but Hey, look, if Shohei Otani can bat second on the days that he pitches and hit an absolute bomb to right field, then I think some of these other guys can figure out how to make it work. We'll see how long this Otani thing lasts for. He cannot stay healthy. I hope this works because the Otani thing is is great for baseball, but they have had a hard time making this happen with him doing the two things. And and I think if it doesn't click this year, like if he gets hurt again, then I think it's over. I I think it'll be like, all right, he's got to just pick a lane and go with it because he's it's been a rough go of it for him. But yeah, man, a guy who can strike out the side in the top of the inning and hit a 450-foot bomb in the bottom of the inning, that's pretty special. And I don't know if it's still true, but at that moment, he had both the hardest pitch thrown of the season and the hardest hit of the season. Name me anybody else in history who could do that. He's a freak. It's amazing. The Angels have him, have Trout and Rendon, and still can't make the postseason. Joe Madden's the manager. I mean, Albert Pujols is on that team. Yeah, right. That's right. One of the great debacles in baseball, that Angels franchise, that they can't do anything with all that talent. But anyway, that's an Angels problem. That's not a Nationals problem. That's have their own issues right now. Got to get a win. Big spot Sunday. Max Scherzer playing Kershaw. We will be back with you to discuss it all 
on the Nats Chat Podcast. Keep the feedback coming. Like we said, you can always hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.